0: Oh, please turn for me this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel, on this side Jordan, in the wilderness, in the plain, over against the Red Sea, between Paran and Topho, and Laban and Hazaroth, and Dizahab. Well, oh, friends, I'm beginning a new series on this uh, interesting book of uh, Deuteronomy. Maybe you'll be a bit surprised that I'm doing a series of studies on Deuteronomy. Well, I'm also a little bit surprised myself. But uh, one doesn't hear many sermons uh, on Deuteronomy, and if they are, you don't usually hear a series on Deuteronomy, uh, but uh, individual sermons. But really it's a little bit sad because there's so much, so many wonderful things that are in this book uh, for us. It's said, it's been said that this was the book that Christ quoted more than any other book. Whenever uh, he, uh, often when he re- re- quoted scripture, Deuteronomy or the Psalms was uh, what he quoted. He was very familiar then with the contents of this book. Do you remember how in the, in the wilderness when he was tempted of the devil and uh, three times the devil came to him with a certain temptation? Each time he answered with a quotation from where? From Deuteronomy. And then you remember how a lawyer on one occasion came to him and said, Master, which is the greatest commandment? Interesting question. Which is the greatest commandment uh, that one should keep? And the Lord referred to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Paul, of course, as well, he re- re- he referred to Deuteronomy. and uh, Romans chapter 10, he referred to Deuteronomy when he was teaching about grace and the nearness of grace and the easiness, in a sense, of coming to salvation, that the Lord is not f- so far away that he cannot be reached. And uh, you can see that in Romans chapter 10. So, friends, at the very least, as we're going through uh, this book of Deuteronomy, you can gain ammunition as it were to prepare you for when temptation comes. You can store in your mind like the Lord did verses of scripture and incidents here to help you in the fight for sanctification. But also as I said there is a lot of grace in Deuteronomy. A lot of grace. You'll be surprised by the amount of grace really that is in here. This is a very evangelical book. You know, I never used to think that before. I used to be scared of Deuteronomy. I used to be scared of Deuteronomy because of Deuteronomy chapter 28. And in, in my early days, I used to think only of the disobedience uh, and the curse, the curses that would come on disobedience because of, uh, 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 in Deuteronomy, outlined uh, so clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But there's so much more to it. Than just that. That's just one part. That's a necessary part, but that's just one particular part. So this is actually a very evangelical book, and in it you will see Moses as a preacher, Moses reasoning, urging, pleading, warning the children of Israel, urging them to love the Lord uh, and to be holy. It's of course though it's it's God who is urging. It is God's words he is quoting. uh, It is as if the Lord is speaking to this new generation of Israelites and pleading with them to love him, to be faithful to him, to serve him from the heart, not just outwardly. That's what's the, the message that is coming through. They're about to enter into the promised land. They are to reflect him. And so he's, he's going to reiterate the law to them so to uh, instill uh, this into their minds. And it was so uh, very uh, necessary. Well, the word uh, Deuteronomy, or this book rather should say, in the Hebrew, uh, it's actually called these be the words, which are the first words in verse 1. But in the Greek, the meaning is the second law, the second law. And it's referring, of course, to the law that was given at Mount Sinai. Second law, not saying this is something new, not an addition to what was given before, but maybe you could say an elaboration, and they're going into a little bit more detail, an expansion of what was given before. The book is dated to 1405, 1406 BC, and it consists of a number of public addresses given by Moses to the children of Israel. There they are, they're on the border, they're in the plains of Moab, they're on the east side of the river Jordan, they're poised to enter Canaan, and Moses addresses this new generation. The old generation, the ones who have come out of Egypt, well, they've died. They've died in the wilderness because of their sins. And now this new generation has risen, and they are the ones under a new leader, under Joshua, who will be led into the promised land. So here they are. It's the first day of the 11th month of the 40th year on the verge of entering uh, into uh, Canaan. Moses, uh, he's 120 years old. He's still going strong at 120, but for one last time, he stands up and uh, addresses the people. These are, you could say, his last sermons, and that's a good way for us to look at these addresses. Sermons of Moses, the word of the Lord to his people. And notice, friends, as we go on, he doesn't give them any military, military tactics. He doesn't go through the art of war uh, and, and instruct these young men and those soldiers who are ready to had to go into Canaan to fight. No, it's all about loving the Lord. It's all about being faithful to Him. It's all about keeping His law, being holy people. It's that's the thing that comes through in these messages. He reminds them of their duties. Oh, it's as if the Lord is so concerned that they will pick up. The idols and the idolatry in the land that they are going to. And they mustn't do that. And so the warning is given beforehand. Don't become like those nations that you are evicting from Canaan. Don't take on board their idols. Remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember the great and mighty things. Deliverance I've wrought for you in bringing you out of Egypt. Love me, the Lord says. Love me wholeheartedly. Love no one else. Bow down to no one else. Remember, I have a special relationship with you. I've established a special relationship with you, God says. I've treated you as no other nation. You alone are my special people. I've not loved or dealt and helped and blessed any other nation as I have Israel. So in a sense, you owe me. Yomi me your love. And they are to be his representatives in the world. And the law is spoken to them so that they are reminded to keep their distinctiveness as God's people. From them, of course, the Messiah is going to arise. And we want to keep that in our minds too. So there's no haranguing. There's no berating from Moses uh, here. He's faithfully warning them in a very tender and away. He's anxious for their comfort and their well-being and their spiritual success and faithfulness in the land that the Lord is giving to them. Well, in this first in the first of these public discourses, these sermons of Moses, uh, he is uh, looking back at Israel's history uh, since leaving Egypt. And he's rehearsing some of the events of the last forty years. And he's going to look back and he's going to draw lessons from it. He's doing just what Paul did. Remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, he said exactly the same thing. He said, now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Paul there is looking back to the same wilderness journeys and drawing lessons for the New Testament saints. Actually, Moses had already done that before. He's doing something very, very similar. He's looking back. Those events have just happened. And he's doing this here in Deuteronomy, looking back and drawing lessons for the children of Israel before they enter uh, Canaan. Moses is telling this new generation what happened, and he's telling them why it happened. He's lifting the curtain on the past 40 years. He's lifting that curtain that separates the physical world from the spiritual world and revealing what God was doing with them and why he did it. Not only what happened, but why did it happen? Oh, friends, this is what makes the Bible such a fascinating book to read because we read not, we're not just reading historical narratives It's much more than that. We're gaining insights into why those particular things happened. We see God, the Almighty, revealing himself, operating behind the curtain of history. And they're seeing things, our friends, without the curtain being lifted. Job and his losses and his crosses and his boils and all those terrible things that happened to him. But if we read that story, we would just feel... We feel so sympathetic for him. It would just be a sob story for us and we would feel full of compassion for him. But when the curtain is lifted, we see that it was a trial sent from God. We see that Satan was trying to bring Job down, trying to make him curse God and die, trying to rob him of his faith. The curtain is lifted, we see it. Friends, without the curtain being lifted, Or the cross would be somewhat meaningless to us. It's a fact that we would be aware of. Oh, there's this man, he died on the cross, his name was Jesus. He was a good man, perhaps that's all we will come to. But with the curtain lifted, we we see that he had to go through all those sufferings. That Christ on the cross suffered in terrible agonies of soul as well as in body. To make an atonement for sin. To take away our sin. The Bible explains that historical narrative to us very clearly. And we understand and we believe in what he has done. Marvelous. Our friends, brethren, are there things that are happening to you now? Or things that have happened to you in your past and you don't know why is it happening Why am I going through all this? Or why did I go through that particular situation? I cannot understand it. Lord, why did it happen? Perhaps it will never be revealed to you in this life. Perhaps you will have to wait until glory in heaven and then the curtain will be lifted and then you will know why. Oh, what surprises are, are in store for us friends in heaven when we get there. And we will understand everything that happened to us. Well, let's look at a little bit more at this text. Verse 2, uh, there are 11 days journey from Horeb uh, by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. Horeb was a mountain range and one of those mountains there was uh, Sinai. So you could say from Sinai all the way to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was the southern point of the, the promised land of Canaan. And it took just 11 days to get there. But in verse 3 we read, it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month on the first day that Moses spoke to the people. The journey that should have taken and did initially take uh, a few days, 11 days here, in the end ended up taking 38 years. It took them two years to get there. Uh, to that uh, Kadesh Barnea the first time and then they, another 38 years they spent wandering aimlessly in the wilderness why? what happened? Well, I'm sure you know friends you know that at Kadesh Barnea when they were on the verge of entering the promised land 38 years ago they didn't believe the Lord the Lord said go in take the land they didn't believe, and they refused to believe that the Lord could give the land into their hands. They said, oh, the Anakims are there, and they're like giants. They're great and tall, and the cities are, are walled up. We cannot overcome them. The Lord said, go. Moses said, go. Caleb said, go. Joshua said, go up. But they wouldn't listen. And they rebelled and turned against the Lord. And so, in judgment fell upon them, and they had Uh, to turn around and go back the way that they came and they wandered, we are told, uh, in the wilderness for 38 years until those who were 20 years old and upwards of the men had perished. Well, friends, am I a believer? Am I a believer who is also going around, perhaps in circles? No purpose, no aim. I'm a true Christian. There's no purpose in my life. A real aim in my life? How long have I been wandering aimlessly in the same circle again and again, never advancing, never making progress in life? Oh, perhaps I ought to be a lot further than where I am, a lot more spiritual than I am. Perhaps I ought to be a young man instead of, but I'm actually still a babe in the Lord. Perhaps I'm only feeding on the word of the milk of the word. And I ought to be feeding by now after so many years of being a Christian on the meat of the word. Oh, we can go round and round, isn't it? I should be able to help others. I still need to be helped myself. Am I a seeker going round and round? Am I on the borders of salvation? But how long have you been there, friends? How many years have you been there? How many Yes, have you been going in the same way? Still on the outside, still looking in, still knowing this is what I uh, should do. This is, I should believe in the Lord. But you're not doing it. You're holding back. Oh, friends, come. uh, Give yourself to Christ uh, today. Don't let unbelief uh, hold uh, you back. Well, Moses here in this first chapter uh, he takes the people back to that time uh, 38 years ago at Kadesh Barnea and he draws back the curtain so that we can see why it is that they didn't go into uh, the land of Canaan. And uh, we, he, he highlights three particular sins uh, which we will look at, which was the cause of their, uh, the judgment that fell upon them. Firstly, there is in verses 19 to 26 the sin of rebellion. I'm not going to go through all the verses, so please read uh, the chapter in your own time. But verses 19 to 26, uh, there is the sin of rebellion. Thirty-eight years previously, uh, they had been at Canaan's borders. The land uh, had brought them, sorry, the Lord had brought them out of Egypt in a marvelous way. They had been slaves there. And now he is bringing them into Canaan, a land that they could call their very own. But they had to go in and to possess it. Verse 20 I said unto you, You are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee Fear not, neither be discouraged. And then the people, when they heard that, well, they said uh, to Moses, let's first uh, send out men to spy out the land and to see what it's like to go through it and check it out. And Moses thought, well, that's a good idea. And uh, so uh, he agreed to it. And 12 men, one one from every tribe was chosen and sent to search out the land. Forty days they went up and down the mountains and the valleys and to the seaside and they checked out the land. In verse 25 we read, They took the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. But Numbers 13 tells us a little bit more about what they said. Because there we read that ten of those twelve spies returned with a bad report. They said these good things, but then they added Oh, but there are giants in the land. There are these tall people. They're so so tall and mighty. And we are like grasshoppers in their sight. We cannot overcome them. And those cities, well, they're so well protected with their high walls. How can we invade them and get the better of them? The people are so strong. And only two of those spies, Caleb and Joshua, came with another spirit and said, No, no, let's go up and possess it. We are able to do it. And so uh, they tried their very best to encourage the people, but the people wouldn't wouldn't have it. And they listened to the the report of the 10. Verse 26, Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. In effect, the people said, No, no, we won't go up. We won't do it. We will not do, uh, do this thing that you tell us to do. Moses pleaded with them. Caleb pleaded with them. Joshua pleaded with them. The Lord is able to give it into our hands. No, we're not going to do it, they said. Why should we? We're not going to go up. And uh, friends, this is to say no to God in such a way is rebellion. It's rebellion against him. This is the very nature of sin. This is the essence of sin. It is saying no to God. God tells us to do something and we respond in the negative. No, I will not do it. Isaiah 53 verse 6. All oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Sin is saying no to God. Sin is turning one's back on God and going our own way. This is it, friends. This is what the the essence of sin. It's rebellion against Him. That's what Satan did. Satan said, I won't listen to God. No to God. And he became a devil. Adam and Eve said no to God's commandment. And they fell and fell terribly. This going of our own way is still the sin of mankind. Innocent sort of uh, uh, nice people, I should say rather, are saying no to God. You think, well, they're, they're very nice people. They don't deserve to be judged. But by their very lives, they say, no, I don't want God in my life. I don't want God to tell me what to do. I don't want God to rule my life. I don't want to serve God. I say no to all that he tells me to do. Oh, friends, that's the heart of rebellion. And so many, sadly, are saying no, just like these uh, Israelites did at that time. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. To reject him, to say no to him, to turn my back on him is rebellion. Then secondly, We see this uh, sin of unbelief in verses 27 and 33. Look at verse 27. It's shocking to hear the words of the Israelites. He murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. Moses entreats them. Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And verse thirty. 31, in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place. Don't you remember, he say, don't you remember how God treated you as a father treats his son and deals so gently with his son, he led you by the hand. You needed things. He provided those things all the way for, for, for you. You needed uh, bread. He gave you bread from heaven. You needed water. Water came gushing out of the rock and supplied your need. Day after day, have you lacked anything in all that time? He protected you from all those fiery serpents that could easily have destroyed you. Don't you remember these things, how, what he's done for you? He reminds them of them. Yet, verse 32, in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God. Friends, this was willful unbelief. This was willful unbelief on their part. It's not as if they were lacking in evidence of God's goodness and power. They, he, after all that he had done for them, bringing them out of the shackles and the taskmasters, and the hard life, and the miserable life that they had had in Egypt. And then they saw, uh, there at the Red Sea, the waters parting before their eyes, and that uh, watery, muddy land becoming dry, so that they could safely uh, pass through to the other side. They saw these things, these miracles that God did, and so much more, as I've already said and the care that he had uh, uh, taken for them, and the miraculous way in which he led them in that pillar of fiery cloud by day and by night. They had all the evidence there, and yet still they didn't uh, believe in him. They had every reason to believe, but verse 32, they did not believe the Lord uh, their God. Our friends, they provoked the Lord uh, by their unbelief. And it, friends, we must remember to believe in the Lord, well, uh, or not to believe in him, is a choice. It's a choice that people make. It's not as if there is a lack of evidence of God's existence. It's not as if there, is, uh, there isn't enough to tell us the atheist, Well, it's all willful uh, unbelief on his part. There's lots of evidence to prove and to show that there is a God he doesn't want to believe. That's the point. And he's looking for every excuse he can find not to believe. Oh, it's a choice. How about with us? Well, as a result of their willful refusal to do as God had said, and their willful refusal to trust him, judgment fell upon those people. Verses 34 to 36. The Lord heard the word of your the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land, which I swear unto you and to your fathers. Save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Verse 37, even Moses was barred from entering the promised land, because on another occasion he had struck the rock when he ought to have spoken it, and he acted in unbelief. But all the men of that generation, from 20 years old and upwards, they would now perish in the wilderness, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And verse 40 the Lord tells them to do a U turn, as for you, turn you, take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Well, that's the way that they had come. It sounds harsh. Sounds severe on God's part. But, oh friends, we have to remember, this is not the first time that they have provoked the Lord. Ten times they had provoked the Lord in some way or other. They were, on on the whole, it seems, a wretched people. They were complaining. You read the history as we're doing, looking at in our Bible studies on, on Thursdays in Exodus, and they complained, they murmured, they rebelled, they doubted the Lord. They talked up Egypt as it was such a great place. And they, uh, so God said to them with an oath, they shall not enter into my rest, into the promised land. Oh well, friends, uh, one more uh, sin is, is mentioned here by Moses, and that is the sin of presumption. The sin of presu- presumption. In verses 41 to 46, when the children of Israel heard God's denouncements against them and, judgment as and the judgment that was pronounced and the order to turn back and go back the way that they came, they changed their minds. They changed their minds. In verse 41, they said, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all that the Lord our God commanded us. And they girded on their weapons and were ready to go up into the hill. And the Lord said to them, Don't go. Don't go up. Uh, in verse uh, 42 say unto them the Lord told Moses go not up neither fight for I'm not among you lest ye be smitten before your enemies you go up I'm not going to be with you and you will definitely lose this battle verse 43 so I spake to you and you would not hear but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and went presumptuously up the hill and what happened to them the Amorites came out against them and chase them as bees do, and destroy them, and sear even unto a houma. They lost that battle, all because they acted presumptuously. Well, friends, the definition of uh, presumption, uh, according to one dictionary, is this: to take upon oneself without permission or authority to do something, to engage in some activity without permission. Or authority. They had no mandate from God to do what they did. They took matters into their own hands. They acted without any permission from God, without any authority from God to do as they did. In other words, they acted in the flesh. They depended on the flesh. We can do it. We will go up now. God said, I'm not with you. I'm not with you. But they acted in a presumptuous way and went on ahead and ended up losing and uh, uh, being chased by the Amorites. Verse 45, they returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice nor give ear to you. It was all crocodile tears, really. They weren't really truly repentant. Well, friends, we uh, we need to have a mandate for all that we do as a church. We need to have a mandate for our evangelistic methods. We cannot uh, do the Lord's work in the flesh. We cannot act presumptuously. We must do things as he has directed us to do. We must know that we are in the things that we engage in. We have the Lord's backing. We have the Lord's authority. We have the Lord's permission to do it in that particular way. Spiritual ends cannot be achieved by the flesh. Spiritual ends must be achieved by dependence on the word of the Lord. Churches nowadays sadly are resorting to the, the winning of souls by depending upon the arm of the flesh souls we know from scripture are one uh, through the word and prayer, the preaching of the, holy, uh, of, the, of the gospel independence upon the Holy Spirit this is what God blesses, this is what the Spirit takes and uses but many churches now are turn, have turned away from these things oh they don't work or they belong to another generation no, now we need to change things, now let's call in some great preacher who's a talented somebody from abroad, bring them in and then the crowds will come That's like the arm of the flesh. And you have these great conferences which thousands go to because they think, oh, God is going to do something great there. But it's the arm of the flesh. The churches are bringing in the worldly rhythms and the the beats are introduced and a different way of worship is introduced into the church. Oh, that's again, is, is there a mandate for these things in Scripture? No, there isn't. Is God with... Uh, is God with uh, going to bless uh, that kind of worship? How can He, friends? It is a dependence on the flesh. But we have the proven methods of evangelism and worship given to us in the Word of God, and this is our mandate, and this is what we is want to stick with. If we do it this way, the important thing is He will be with us. He will, whether we are small or great in number. That's what matters. The Lord is with us. Well, friends, I close. The curtain uh, has been lifted. And we see clearly in this case uh, why the older generation of Israelites couldn't enter uh, into Canaan. And there are lessons for them, that newer generation. And their lessons also uh, for us. And God willing, uh, we shall learn uh, more as we go along. I close with Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12, the words of Paul, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Well, let's close by seeing our final hymn, which is number 78, version 2. Give year to the Lord, 78, version 2.